We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the King's Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunez from the King's Herald and the King's Pulse podcast. If you're not listening to the King's Pulse podcast, you really do need to do that. Uh, also, make sure to go on and uh, and follow Brendan on on uh, the Twitter box at Brendan Nunez NBA. You see it below his name there if you're watching on the YouTube channel. Brendan, what's going on? Not much, James. I got to be more prepared. I'm usually the guy asking what's going on instead of answering the question. I got to be more prepared with some creative answers here. Uh, I don't have all too much going on. Nice. Uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of uh, the wind down of the season. Uh, it, it's weird because I'm prepping for like a, a like four-day getaway to New Orleans for the Final Four. Um, and I'm not used to that during the season, especially this late in the season. Uh, and I'll miss my first game in 10 years. It'll, I think it'll be over, in my first home game, in over over 10 years. So Slacker. How dare you. Slacker. So I've missed uh, a total of two games at home ever in my 12 seasons covering the team. Uh, one, I was in uh, Boston at the Sloan Analytics Conference at MIT. And one, I was, at, I was at the Board of Governors meeting in New York City while they're deciding the fate of the Sacramento Kings and whether they would relocate to Seattle. Um, those are, I believe, the only two games that I've, I've ever missed. Uh, as far as home games. So I, I think I can put this one in the same thing. You know, I'm going to the final four, so it's okay. Uh, I can I can let myself off the hook because I'm still, it's not like I'm not working. So, yeah. yeah. I guess. I guess it's all right. We'll forgive you. <laughs> Sweet. Um, all right, so let's get to a little bit of business. Uh, number one, if you're watching on, the face, uh, on YouTube, uh, make sure to go down below and give us a subscribe and a thumbs up. Thumbs ups are good. Uh, they help the YouTube algorithm, I, I guess. 
so that's big. Um, number two, um, we're we're down to two days left of the promo code for the King's Beat merchandise shop that saves you fifteen percent off. That's also down below uh, in the um, the YouTube description, but also. Uh, if you're getting the emails, which you should be getting as a subscriber to The King's Beat, uh, it also is in there. Uh, that ends at the end of March. Um, outside of that, Brennan, um, like this is your first real true wind down covering a team. Uh, just what are your overall thoughts on watching a season come to a close where you now pretty much know the outcome? Yeah, I'm uh, really excited to watch more Paulo Banchero. That's pretty much where I'm at at this point. You know, I just uh, am really diving into the draft and like there's things to watch for. Namias Keita finally got some run and uh, Davion Mitchell getting an expanded role and more opportunity. Damian Jones getting more opportunity. Like there's definitely those small aspects that I'm keeping tabs on and taking notes on how they perform with more opportunity. But for the most part, it's it's pretty hard to not dive into the draft at this point, to be honest. Yeah, it, it really does. We get to that point. Especially, I think the cool thing, we're going to cover the draft um, in the second part of the show, but the, the cool thing about this particular draft was that there are so many top-tier players in the draft that we're watching in the tournament. You know, we're, we're getting to see these guys play again and again and see them in different pressure situations and everything else, and... I think it's been great, and you know there's still players alive uh, there that are going to be in the top five, the top six, uh, top fifteen. You know, so we're going to keep a really, really close eye on what's happening um, in the tournament, just because these guys are are going to be options for the Sacramento Kings, regardless of where they draft. Um, Bren, let's get to uh, we're we're going to talk. Well, I got I got two options for Tuesday overreactions. Um, the first is Davion Mitchell and Alvin Gentry going at it on the sidelines, um, but I I don't think I'm going to touch that one yet. We're, we'll get to that when we discuss Davion. Uh, I think the the Tuesday overreaction uh, that we'll go with today is um, the play of Namias Keda. And uh, his first game, it's been a long time since he's played, it feels like. Um, but his first true look, uh, he played, what, 15 minutes against the Heat. Didn't look One great. One shot attempt. One shot attempt. Um, but uh, I guess a Tuesday overreaction, just like what are your your first initial thoughts if you were just to watch that game of him and think, okay, who is he, what is he, what's going on here? Well, Tuesday overreactions. Waste of a pick. He sucks, James. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's horrible. No, I, uh, I mean, he looks like he hasn't played in an NBA game in a little while. Like, I thought he was okay. He he only got 15 minutes of run. Like, I don't know. Wasn't all too impressive. Like, definitely need to see more, like, Part of what's interesting to me with him is his passing, and we didn't see all too much of it in this one. Like, he just still needs to get comfortable when it comes to playing with the A team because, you know, last I saw him, he was playing James Wiseman on Stockton and just a whole lot of G League runs. So, it just doesn't qu quite look up to pace when it comes to joining the Sacramento team. 
Yeah, there's a big difference between going up against James Wiseman and going up against Bam Adebayo. I, there just is. Um, okay, so th- this segment is sponsored by Ricardo Brito Reyes, the piss guy from Portugal. Um, it, it, we're just having fun with you, uh, Ricardo. Uh, he's a, a journalist in Portugal. Um, you know, y- you clipped me and Brendan talking about uh, <laughs> Nemeas last time. And and I think it's funny. Like, one of my responses to you guys out there, I, there's plenty of times where I, I, I too, am pissed that Nemeas Keita isn't getting minutes because – this season feels like it's been over for so long, and I would have liked to have seen a shift to him much earlier. But when you you make the big trade and it brings in Sabonis, it really did change the whole dynamic of what was going to happen the rest of this season. Um, I, I think probably two or three games ago is when you started. You should have started seeing him and Damian uh, maybe split minutes or come close to split minutes, but. Everything I, I'm watching from Alvin Gentry is he's trying to win games. Uh, no matter what that means for the franchise, he's trying to win every game. And uh, I think you're seeing that this is it's hard to explain because like when as as a journalist who's covered the NBA for so long, I've watched the process of young players play out again and again and again and again. Very rarely do you see a player just drop in from the sky and all of a sudden he's performing at this incredible level and he never has a hiccup. He just keeps going and his ascension is straight to the top. Um, the The speed of the college game and then the speed of the G League and then the speed of the NBA are all three different speeds and like dramatically different speeds. It's, you know, it's like 60, 80... And, uh, like, driving 105 miles an hour. Um, and I think what we're seeing right now is Kata is just, he's going to need time to adjust. And that's why we would have liked to have seen him have more time. But really, I'm not going to make any claim as to who and what he can be at the NBA level until we get a much, much larger sample size of him. And a sample size that isn't jaded by it's the final week of the season and he might be playing against G League players at the NBA level. He might be playing against All-Stars. You just never know from one night to the next, uh, especially, you know, he's about to go against the Houston Rockets twice, and the Houston Rockets don't have Bam out of bio, and they, they don't even have a, a really a Dwayne Dedman. They've got some talented young guys, but— Alper and Shingun, disrespect, James. They're all—but but they're young guys, right? So, yeah, so yeah. what do you think of that? Like, because we are seeing, like, this— like that's what it looked like. It looked like a speed and pace of the game. Yeah. I think there is an understandable asterisk on it because he's playing against maybe not first-string guys um, at this point in the season. But at the same time, it is still an improvement. Like you're saying, you can see that there is a change of pace and just a whole different world that kind of Namiish is dealing with compared to what he was doing with in Stockton. And so while there is that asterisk on this final stretch of the season, I think it's still good to see it. It's still helpful for his progress and his eventual, I mean, if we're talking about him as a backup big man in the NBA, then like this is an opportunity to show the potential, you know, like I want to have moments in these final seven, eight games of, okay, I see it, you know, for, for a stretch for a moment while he's out there, like, 
we didn't have it all that much in Miami, but I think he gets an opportunity to do that in these final games. Yeah, um, I, I think the the positives. What what were your positives? Let's let's hit that. Um, I, I mean, I still think that he is a good rim protector. Like he's huge. It, it stands out out there. He's a big guy. And I think we didn't quite see the passing, but that is one of the areas that really intrigues me with him. So for the most part, it's just that like he can be a five out there. There's no question about that, that he has the size and the he, he's able to match the physicality with the size that he has while he's out there. Yeah, um, I, I think my biggest takeaway is that he's the best screener the Kings have. Um I, I saw a stat somewhere. I'm not sure where it was. I'll apologize in advance, but it was something like, uh, you know, I, who is it? Um, Quinn, Quinn Snyder tries to push his stat all the time. It's the, uh, the screen, screen assist. assist. Yeah. So basically the screen assist stat is something that, um, that, you know, they think that Rudy Gobert frees up guys all the time with screens um, that lead to baskets. And, uh, you know, Quinn Snyder is on to something, and his guy does lead the league in that. Uh, but in the first game we saw, you know, Kata had, I think it was six screen, screen assists for 16 points. That's I, I swear that's what I read from um, one of the stat guys that are out there. Okay. I didn't see it, but I definitely – or I didn't see the stat specifically, but I definitely – believe that because like you're saying Namish is great at setting screens and to be honest the Kings haven't had a guy that's been really good at setting screens for a while like Rashawn Rashawn's okay D Jones is okay um, but they haven't just had like a physical guy out there at the five you know Willie Cauley-Stein Marvin Bagley those guys are slipping it all the time they're trying to avoid contact like Namish is a big that finally like feels like he has a sense of physicality that can set screens in a way that is most effective compared to some of the other guys Sacramento's dealt with the last handful of years. Yeah, I think the only other guy that's even remotely close is is Sabonis. I mean, Sabonis is a dude who yeah. puts just absolutely hammers guys on screens. When when you get hit with a Sabonis screen, like you you feel it. Like that is a big time screen. So uh, I, I think what we're seeing right now is, um, number one, his teammates aren't 100% comfortable. Um, so, you know, if you haven't played with a guy, it's one thing for him to set you a screen. It's a whole other thing to hit him on the roll to the basket because that's not something the King said last night at all. The one basket he did have was a draw and kick. Um, I think it was Harrison Barnes took... Uh, two guys to the lane, and then flipped it underneath to Kata on the baseline for a dunk. Um, Chemezi Metu had a couple of plays where he could have just literally handed the ball over to Kata uh, for wide-open looks and did and chose not to, and I don't think he was very productive in those either, uh, in, in those stints. Um, some of the concerns that... Um, but I'm going to chalk up most of the concerns specifically to just the speed and the pace of the game um, is that he had one rebound in 15 minutes. And for a guy that's that big, that strong, has really good hands, and is a, and is a good rebounder, he was a step slow with... And I think it wasn't even like physically. He was a step slow in his processing of the game. 
And so he would go to get in position for a rebound and his guy had already got in position before him. And so he was, he just got beat that way. And, uh, you know, the one rebound, I, I saw that it was like, it was a true one rebound in 15 minute performance. He got boxed out again and again and again, and he, he needs to figure that out. And it's mainly, again, I believe because of the speed of the game and he just was not like, he was still chasing a ball while everyone else was already understanding that the ball was gone and that it was going somewhere else. And uh, so, so look, this is why he has to play, right? This Brendan, this yep. is why if he's going to be an NBA player, he has to learn at this level. He absolutely does. And to be fair, like he's playing the, I believe they're tied for the one seed in the Eastern conference. He's playing one of the most physical teams in the entire NBA Kyle yep. Lowry, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, P.J. Tucker. Like, that is a very physical team. And Bam himself, his matchup, is a guy that's a top, what, five, top ten center in the league. Like, Bam is a really, really good player. And so I think that, like you're saying, this is the reason that Namiish needs to play. He needs to get mm-hmm. up to speed. He needs an opportunity to play against guys like this and just get comfortable a little bit because he didn't look – all too comfortable he didn't look like he fit in yesterday yeah that's i think that's what it comes down to especially on the defensive end he just didn't look like he was comfortable and on the defensive end by by that i mean like i thought he was okay as a defender but really on the defensive end like as a rebounder as a reactor um like he's got to get he's got to catch up to the game And, and hopefully he gets by you know if he is playing every all of the final six games here hopefully we get to a point where you do start to see that you start to see him catching up, especially if you're going to go up against young guys and Shengun is, is one that's like, Holy cow. He's got so many moves. If you leave your feet, you're done with him. Um, I mean, I mean, I worry for Shemezi Metu in that game because he, he's a guy who likes to bite on the up fake. Um, my goodness, like Alper and Shengun just like, it's one fancy footwork move after another, after another, after another. Uh, and you know, Christian Wood. Like, you're going to see different looks here down the stretch uh, against this Houston Rockets team. And that's what you need to do as an NBA player. You need to understand, you know, that for stretches, you're going to go up against a a ground-based guy who does tricky things. And then for stretches, you're going to go against a guy who is an elite athlete with elite length that can shoot the three and take you in the post like Christian Wood. Uh, I just think that there's going to be some adjustments here. And, um and I hope that that uh, Kata gets the opportunity. Uh, I think the biggest problem that he has is that the Kings have have just way too many centers. Number one, number two, they they continue to think that they had a chance at the play-in game. And uh, Brendan, I think that that kind of ended on on Sunday afternoon um, because that's that's kind of the shift I saw against Miami. I thought we would see this team play it out all the way down the stretch. But when the Lakers blew, like, what did they blow? Like a 23-point or a 29-point lead to the Pelicans? And they lost that game. I think that was the moment where the Kings realized that there's no way for them to catch up uh, because it went from the potential for, uh, you know, the Pelicans would have been, I think at that point it would have been uh, it would have dropped to like four games in the loss column, three games in the loss column, uh, but it went back up to five, and then they lost yesterday. It makes it six. 
Um, so that was kind of like the last like attempt. I don't think the Kings believe that the that the Lakers are going to go two and five in the final set their final seven games, and the Kings are going to go six and zero, oh, and then they're going to tie, and that that the Kings would actually make it to the play in game. Uh, and you throw in San Antonio, who all of a sudden is on a win streak and is pushing for a play-in spot as well. Um, I, I think that they—that's what we saw yesterday was a bit of a white flag from Alvin Gentry. Yeah, I think understandably so. Like we ran through it on the last episode, they still had a chance to make it, but it was kind of asking a lot. They had some odds to overcome, I guess, to say the least, and. If you were going to make it happen earlier, then you wouldn't have lost, what is it, seven out of eight games in a row right before they went on that run where they beat Indiana, beat Orlando, and then we just saw lost to Miami. Like, If they were going to be serious about chasing the play and they needed to make it happen a little bit earlier, and I do think that we kind of saw them, like you're saying, wave the white flag when they played that game against the Heat, and I think understandably so. Like it's it's a long shot for them to to make it especially at this point but even beforehand yeah it's it's a long shot and, and i mean look the kings are still going to win a couple of games people aren't going to be happy about that but they are they're going to win a couple of games maybe it's just one maybe maybe they let houston do like the try hard thing and beat them um but houston has a lot riding on these losses too uh houston right now uh, it's Houston, Orlando, and Detroit all have 20 wins. And so basically in the win column, they're tied for the worst record in the NBA, all three teams. Um, and then number four is OKC, who picked up a win against Portland, who again is much better at losing than the Kings are at losing. Um, so that's – I warned everybody in the beginning. Like the Kings are up against a bunch of teams that are much better at losing than they are. I mean – the fact that the Thunder won a game is shocking because they don't want to win and they haven't want to haven't wanted to win for like three years. This is this is the plan. It's to be horrible. Um, but, but sometimes the, but you the go. Players aren't. The players can't do that. You know what I mean? Like the players that go no. out there can't try to lose. They're gonna give their everything. Well, and... they have to because there's only 450 spots in the NBA. And if you're on the Thunder, you're closer to out of the league than you are in the league. Like, there's there's yeah. a group of players on there that uh, they're there for a specific reason, and that is right now. Like, they're there so this team loses and, and gets better draft picks. And, I mean, what they do is different. They just shut everybody down. That's that's typically what OKC does. Like, oh, you is, know, Josh is OKC Gaze. your least favorite team in the league? James, I feel like every episode somehow. Okay, so no, because not a no, fan. because um, well, I I hate the like like so people want the Kings to tank all the time. Well, like they're just bad. Like there's a difference between being bad and intentionally being bad. And I guess you could say that Philadelphia like mastered the tank, and that they came out the other side. But did they? I mean, they they still haven't won anything. Could they win this year? Sure. Sure, they could win this year. Um, but, like, how many years were they, like, winning 13 games or less than 20 
in order to get where they are. And even where they are took in like another five or six years to get out of and to figure out how to win and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I don't think there is a pure science that makes sense. Um, it really does come down to drafting well and getting random luck in the lottery. You know, OKC slash the... If the Kings would have hit on their number two pick, this would be a whole lot different situation right now. Yeah. If the Kings would have just drafted Luka, the Kings would have been a playoff team. Like, or, or even, like, uh, everybody talks about Luka, and I agree, obviously, but, like, even if you talk about Jaron Jackson Jr., like, there's yeah. other guys. It's it just Marvin was not the guy to take. Like, yeah. Yeah. But no, you're right. I mean, even Trey. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you wouldn't play any defense at all. You'd be, like, the mid-'80s uh, Denver Nuggets where you they score, like, 145 a night and lose. Um, but like you would, you would have to, uh, like score so many points if you, if you had Trey and De'Aaron as your backcourt. Um, but like the Kings missed and and you can't miss when you're up there, when you're, when you're number two. Um, and they're not the only ones who've done it. Like, I mean, Michael Beasley was second pick in the draft. Uh, Derek Williams was second pick in the draft. I think Marvin Williams was second pick in the draft. Like, there are a lot of guys who go that high who don't pan out. And I hope it pans out for Marvin in, in Denver. I hope he, I mean, in De- uh, Detroit, I hope he figures his everything out and stays on the court and all that stuff. But um, whatever happened to him is more on him than it is on the Kings, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's it, it just, it is what it is. Um, yeah. So, so Brendan, um, what do you want to see here in the last six games? Because that's that's kind of where we're at. We're at this point where, like, this team does not have a shot. And what are they going to do? You know, how how are they going to step up? How are they going to? What do you, is there anything that you're looking to see? I mean, like, I, I want to see Davion Mitchell be consistent over this final stretch. Okay. Excuse me. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I'm kind of watching the fringe of the roster of like is Chemezi Mitsu a guy that I want back next year? Like it's weird because he has another year going into next season, but he talks like he doesn't sometimes. It's um, not guaranteed where he's okay. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know, just like a lot of times when he is talking to media, he's talking like, Oh, I'm, I feel like I deserve more minutes and, I just don't know. I guess I'm watching to see if I agree. And I don't know where I'm at with that. It, it's a lot of the edges of the roster. Like Trey Lyles is a team option going into next year. I That's a guy that I do think I like. I, I like bringing him back. He had, uh, what was it, career high rebounds against Orlando. And 18. he does, yeah, he does well. Like he does, he's a good complimentary piece. A guy that just kind of pieces everything all together. So a lot of the end of this season to me at this point is there's a couple guys that get bigger opportunity to see if I kind of like what they offer to the team. And some of them you have to gauge, like, are they able to do this in a smaller role or are they only doing this because they have more opportunity? Like I think D Jones is a guy that stands out um, compared to Rashawn, for example, where Rashawn Holmes, when he had a limited role, just wasn't the same guy. But D. Jones can do the exact same thing, Damian Jones, in 15 minutes as he could do in 30. And I think there's just certain guys where you kind of have to gauge that a little bit. So I I think a lot of the end of this season is 
the guys that there's questions with going into the offseason of should they be brought back or what sort of payday do they deserve this offseason? And it's kind of where I'm at these final seven games. Yeah, when I'm watching, I'll tell you, like, with every game, you you kind of – there. I think with every player, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I know who he is. I don't need to see anymore. Like, you're watching, you're watching, you're like, oh, I didn't expect that. Okay, you can do that. Okay, I'm logging these things in my head. Like, okay, if, if the Kings need a rebounder one night, Trey Lyles can get you 18. And it's he's also got you 12 in a game. He, I think he's got two or three double-doubles with the Kings. Um, like, I, I'm impressed. Do I want to see him shoot more threes? Yeah. Do I want to see him not hesitate? Yes. Uh, I don't think he's going to fix that because he's been in the league too long to fix that. That is kind of who he is. So I, I start logging the the things that I like about him, the things that I don't, and then do, I get to a point where it's like, okay, I don't need to see anymore. Like, you can go to the next player now. And, and you know, I think the coaches, uh, I think the front office, they probably feel the same way, right? There's going to be moments where you're like, uh, I need to who see more. Who do you more. not need to see any more from? Who who do you know who they are and don't need to see more from? I have one name in mind that I'm sure you do too. I got I got one name in mind that I don't need to see any more of. Yeah, we should just Justin do Holiday. one, two, three. Yeah, Justin Holiday. Yeah, one, two, three. Justin Holiday. <laughs> Justin. <laughs> <Holiday>. <laughs> Why don't you want to see any more of Justin Holiday? Because we know what he is. Like you said, he's he's an older guy. It's not somebody that is younger and you're looking at of how does he fit with this group? Like he's a three and D player who is a better shooter than we've seen. I 100% believe that. I do not think that he's as bad of a shooter as we've seen. He went one of six against Miami He had six points. I'm shocked that he keeps on being a really bad shooter in all these games. Cause to me, at some point he's got to turn it on. And like, even looking back at how he was with Indiana, the inconsistency we've seen with Sacramento feels like the outlier and it's just ridiculous. He's either totally on fire or he can't hit anything from three. He's an okay defender. It's not like he's a difference maker on that end or anything. So, and the issue is that like, for me, he seems like a great person. He is very well spoken. Yes. And I've heard that other players like him. It's just, it's one of those difficult things where it's like, you're a great person. You just are not really doing all too much. I kind of know what you're going to do on a night-to-night basis at this point, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, there's those those outliers where he actually hits threes, and they're outliers. Like, he doesn't do that. Like, we've watched enough of him to... I think we've watched enough of him to be shocked that he shoots 38% from the from three for his career. That's what I get. Like I keep watching it and I, I keep thinking, I don't know how, I don't know how, because every time you get a wide open look, you brick it. Like there was a point in the second quarter where he had like a two minute stretch where he, he got to the free throw line and bricked both free throws. And I was like, Oh my gosh, he missed a three. He missed a layup at the rim with no one around him. He turned the ball over, and, and like the turnover was like, oh my gosh, like Buddy Hield esque. And 
like you got done with this segment of the game and you're you're just shaking your head like oh, really you're, you're still in the game you we're going there you're still in the game like in any other situation he wouldn't be but the fact is the kings don't There's have anyone no else Aaron fox yeah no no dear yeah no terrence davis no even jeremy lamb went out in that game like I don't know, did did Jeremy Lamb throw up a bad floater and hurt himself? Because yeah, every time he throws up a floater, it hurts me. Like there are times <laughs> where you're just like, I I don't even know what that was. That looks like again, that looks like me and my son out in the driveway playing. That ain't pretty stuff. That's not NBA level. What whatever that is, like his runners, and he gets a rebound. You're watching and you're like, the okay. end of Jeremy Lamb. I guess part, part of the end of this season is watching the final games of some guys on the Kings. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, I mean specifically on the Kings. Yeah, I mean Jeremy Lamb won't be back. Yeah, I'm I'm just like, at what point did the Kings not just take that two way player contract that they have, and at least bring in someone? Like even if it's bringing Jamias Ramsey back, like Jamias Ramsey's just in the G League, he could be signed to a two way contract. They could have brought him back and just he's a guy that you had in your system and you don't have to keep him as a two-way player. You can waive him this offseason, but at least you'd give him some more money and you know it would be an opportunity to actually get some burn. And I'm sure there are other players in the G League that could have done that, but I, I don't get why, what was it, like eight eight to ten games ago they waived Lou King. Lou King should be playing minutes right now. Yep. It, yeah, so, is that not weird to you? Like... It's yes, totally I'm with weird. You. Luke, Luke, Luke King should have played right now. The moments that we're talking about, where like this this team doesn't have any young players, like one of those two way guys should be that. No, uh, you know I'm not gonna say like it has to be Luke King. I, I think that there could be a reason why Luke King is no longer there. That that has not. I, I think it's one of those guys. There's every once in a while where somebody like mysteriously is no longer there. Like I remember. In my first season, it was Luther Head. All of a sudden, Luther Head was waived. And it was like, hey, uh, what happened to Luther Head? And uh, Paul Westwell just told me, and he just looked me straight in the face. He goes, it was time for Luther to go. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. Like, I get that. When someone says that, like, I think that might be the case with Lou King. It was time for Lou to go. Um, and so that's fine. But there are other players in the G League that make sense that would have would have helped you tank here better. <laughs> would have helped you but would have provided depth. So like at this point, like he Alvin Gentry doesn't have another choice. He's playing Davion like most nights, like forty to forty seven minutes. Like it, it kind of feels like that moment where Michael Malone went to Pete D'Alessandro and said, can you please sign a point guard for me? And he goes, okay, I got you. And he signs Royce White. And you're like, oh, no, no. What What, what is you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that's where, not good. Where are you at with Alvin? Because Alvin is, I mean, it seems like, assumedly coaching the last games of his career with the Sacramento Kings, at least. But the best thing that could happen for him, I would assume, is to win games. But at this point, like, the play-in is becoming a long shot, even more so as each game passes. Like, how how do you go about Alvin dealing with these last six, seven games? You know, I, since the, the trade, 
I've seen some of the inventive Al Alvin. Like, I've seen some really cool things with regards to, uh, you know, finding finding plays that work with with Domas and De'Aaron, uh, finding plays that get, um, you know, guys like Harrison Barnes involved. I think we've gone away from a lot of that stuff because, you know, you take away your two main cogs and it looks different. But even when you did that, I still think that we've seen a really good fight from the other guys. I think that the the players do like him, uh, although Davion Mitchell and him did get in a little bit of a tussle on the sideline um, in the last game. It was caught on camera where Davion was not happy that Alvin called a timeout, that he was just about to, I think he was just about to run through, um, what I can't remember who it was, uh, but he, he got matched up. He got a, a matchup against uh, a tall, lanky uh player on the uh on the heat and was ready to bolt past him and and alvin called the timeout um which, i think overall weird, like right what like they, that's not it's not very davion i think he was fired up because he was having a rough game and he was pissed and he kind of knew like everyone else did that if there if there was any chance at all you had to beat the heat and they were getting thumped and and so I think that was just a frustration point where again he was not having a good game early on, and was kind of a little overmatched. And then he found his game throughout, you know, as we got into the third and fourth quarters. Um, but that was just some frustration coming out, I believe. Yeah, I could see that for sure because overall, like, it's not very Davion. But in the moment, being frustrated with the game is understandable. What are your thoughts on Alvin? I mean, I, I think that we're watching what I would assume is the last of him with the Sacramento Kings. Like, I think Alvin has been uh, Alvin. In, I guess as my first coach that I've covered, Alvin is really fun. Alvin is joking yeah. around all the time, and I guess sometimes those jokes got taken the wrong way, and I feel like they got toned down at a point. But he's a very fun person to cover. I don't know that I'd say he's a great coach, though. And I think that the Sacramento Kings could use an upgrade there. And I guess that's kind of where I'm at. Like, we have seven games left of watching Alvin Gentry, to me. I, I think that, like you said, we're watching the end of this. It's interesting. Um, I'll say this. Like, I would have liked, if Alvin was going to have this job, I would have liked to have seen him have it from the beginning. So, you know, he is a guy that I think can ride out the ebb and flow of a bad season, uh, that when a team does struggle, he, he's a guy that like his personality, he knows what, where to push buttons. Like he either demands it in the media or he demands it to the players or he gets emotional or he says something, um, that shocks the room, which I, like we've seen it all multiple times this year. Uh, you know, his, I'm not, I'm not quitting. We're not quitters stuff that he did. I think twice this season to me was like really intriguing. Um, like he's a good quote for sure. He, he's an interesting there, dude. There, there were definitely one or two moments where he was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my career, 35 years or whatever it is. And there's been two or three times since that where it's like, I think he gave up on saying this is the worst thing I've ever seen because there's been a couple more that were probably top that one. Well, I, I can't explain that for, for him. Because I agree with him in that sense. 
when you get beat by 40, that happens sometimes in the league. When you get beat by a Miami Heat team by, I could have sworn this, the final score was 125 to 120. I mean, to 100. I don't know when it got to 123. Um, maybe I'm just crazy. Uh, like, I, maybe it was the, I was doing stats so fast and I looked at the, the TV screen and they had the game up. Uh, the score wrong that's possible um anyway when you get beat by 25 to miami late in the season missing your two best players and your your backup center and like six other guys that decided that weren't going to play um that's understandable right that's that's not the worst thing we've ever seen it's it's typical um it's it's the boston atlanta road trip Okay, yes, but it, it's it wasn't that. Losing by 40 happens. Losing by every once in a while, you go through a stretch where you get clubbed. It was that his team wasn't trying at all. That was the problem. Like, they went out and fully quit 20 games into the season, 25, 30 games into the season. That's what he hadn't seen before. Like, that's where I got with this season as well early on. I kept saying, like, Okay, this team should not be this bad, but like this team can't be this bad now. Like that's not okay to be here now. It's okay to be here at 60 games. But to quit on the team to quit like yeah, 20, 25, what, 30 games? 8 Yeah, 18 games, right? What Luke lasted 17 and 18 was that game against Philly where they were missing oh. what three or four starters? Five. And yeah five starters that's what it was and they were horrible james they were horrible the kings you go back and look at some of those stretches and like there were so many opportunities to for this team to have six more wins right now and you're like oh well what six wins mean uh six wins means you're like the ninth seed (laughs) you're in the play-in like and that's what it means. It, like all those little times where this team let go of the rope, all of those count up at the end of the season to five, six, seven, eight games. And even if you split those and you got four more wins, now you're in a three-way tie with 31 wins or a they, four-way tie with they th- missed, 31. Yep. They missed the play-in last year by three games. Yeah. And, you know, it, it'll probably be a larger margin this season, but like, those excuse my dog those one You're two okay. three to five games like those matter in the long run yeah when you trick off games that's what buddy always said oh we tricked that off um yeah th- they matter like for every like and we can go back and it's not one person don't ever like have i blamed plenty of things on buddy healed yes but all the losses no i mean there are certainly games where buddy like shot you out of game it's his fault we won that game yeah, um, the Indiana yeah. Game. you can the Indiana game. Yeah, um, you definitely can say that. Yeah, how dare he like dribble the ball right out of bounds? Like he buddy healed it. Um, you know, so that's like when we talk about Alvin. Like I, I think you're right. I, I don't think Alvin will be back. Um, there is a possibility he is. There's a possibility he's a steady hand, and they want to bring him back one more year. But if they do that, um. He needs better coaching staff. That I mean, just straight up, he needs better coaching staff, and that's one thing that I'll it, tell you this season. That's where you're at. 
is that he yeah. if he were to come back, you would feel okay about it if they upgraded the surrounding cast. Yeah. But like how many times do we do that? And even still, like it, the only way that happens that that I believe that should happen is if it's Monty's call. If Monty believes in Alvin and they've had enough conversations um that he knows that that's what, you know, he wants to do. Uh, that's one thing, but I, I think this is an opportunity to reset the franchise and put him back on the right path. And you know what? They they need to have conversations with Sabonis. They need to have conversations with De'Aaron Fox, and they need to get a coach that, like those two, consensus wise, like it, it. They need to know the player, the coach type that they want. Like, do they want a players coach? Do they want a guy who calls a bunch of play sets? Do they, like what is it that you want? Who, what type of coach do you want? And we're gonna try to fit what you guys are looking for because realistically, you need to make Sabonis as happy as possible, and you need to like make sure that Fox is on board. and And I think that that would be tremendous if if they had those conversations this this off season. And like, look, I, I think Alvin is a popular coach because he's a. Um, He's a player coach, but he's also like an old school guy who who really does kind of give it to you straight. And that's why I think we appreciate him so much because he's fun. He fully gives it to you straight. He's a dude who like he doesn't really care like what what's going on. He's like he's just going to shoot from the hip um, and, and it's enjoyable to cover. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I think there are people on this team that want someone who directs a team more understandably so i mean like i don't know how to gauge alvin uh to be honest like 35 years in the nba and you haven't solidified yourself as a head coach i'm i don't know he's had multiple opportunities and it's not gone great anywhere i really like alvin as a person i've really enjoyed covering him I just don't know that he's been great as a head coach in his opportunities around the league, including yeah. what we've seen so far in Sacramento. Like I, I'm kind of ready for something new to me. There's even if maybe like Alvin isn't bad, there's margin for improvement. There's you, yeah. you can go out and probably get somebody better. And that makes your team substantially better when it comes to your win loss record at the end of the season. I think that going towards somebody else, you have a good opportunity that you're getting a better result in the end. Yeah, I think, like, if I'm going to point to two teams that I, I'm like, look, this is how a coach changed things, right? And, and I go to this last offseason uh, or, or the last couple of years. Um, what we're seeing in Memphis is just different. Like, their play style, I mean, they have jaw, but... Um, last time I checked, they were like, are they like 17 and two without John, the starting lineup? Like, yeah. And their yeah, coach is I, young. No, he, he's incredibly young, but it, it's something that, I mean, like y you need to find, uh, someone like him. You need to find some, uh, someone like Taylor Jenkins. Um, the other team I'll point to, uh, Taylor Jenkins has done really nice stuff there, uh, is Minnesota. And if we're looking at Miss Minnesota, uh, you know, I, I think Chris Finch has done a really good job taking a team that had under 
underperformed for years and years and years, just completely underperformed. He's like forced them to own up to being a really talented team filled with number one and number two overall picks that just hasn't played that well. And, uh, and next thing you know, they've turned like, you know, they've turned, uh, the, possibility of what a player could do into production you know and to me that's that's the biggest thing the kings need to find i mean it can be a young guy um like we can go through a bunch of guys here and throw up candidacies that we think would work but in the end monty like, williams they, is another one yeah uh monty is a guy though who had had an opportunity or two well he had had an opportunity in new orleans and things didn't go spectacular his first time um and then, you know, he had tragedy in his life and he stepped away. Um, and, and, you know, so like Monty's sort of an interesting like rebirth story. And, and the Kings missed on Monty. Like they did. They they could have, that would have been a guy that they should have chased um, that offseason when he was available. And, and they didn't. They went right for Luke. Um, that That's a guy who probably could have made a big difference. But like the Kings can't get this one wrong. They, they They've missed on so many. They need to find someone who comes in with a personality that with a standard of play, with with something that captures the imagination of the players around them. And I don't know who that is. And, you know, we can talk about guys like Kenny Atkinson and, you know, uh, like there's, there's going to be a lot of coaches that are mentioned here. But at the same time, I, I think I want, I want input and then I want them to make a, a decision that is a about winning games it's not about who will implement what you want or will play the players you want it's got to be straight up about wins and losses yeah i mean kenny atkinson terry stotts frank vogel um i i I, there's a lot of guys like i always go back to it's crazy to me that like mike budenholzer was on the hot seat and then a month later won the championship um, there's a lot of good coaches out there like Terry Stotts to me and Kenny Atkinson. I like both, but like Terry Stotts, for example, kind of seemed like he got scapegoated where it's like, we have to change something in Portland and yeah. decided that the coach was the way to go. Um, even if he wasn't necessarily the problem, I don't know how good of a coach he is, but also it wasn't his fault is kind of where I'm at with that. Um, that's where to me, like Sacramento needs to make an improvement. I, I think there's an opportunity there to make some progress when it comes to a better coach than what you have with Alvin right now. Um, I feel like a lot of what people go back to is that they didn't have a proper process the first time uh, with Luke, that is. Of yeah. They just, like you said, were kind of keyed in on him. Is that where you're at with this next coaching hire process of like, make sure you actually go through and interview multiple people? Is that the important thing to you? No. Okay, so... Like I'll explain my thoughts on that really quickly. Um, I, I didn't I didn't expect us to go fully into coaching discussion on this pod, so I haven't like again built my list of who I would have. Um, like, look, we started hearing Luke's name at the All Star break while Dave Yeager was still the head coach. Um, like, we started hearing his name in Sacramento. Like, you knew that Luke wasn't going to make it in LA. You knew that they were going to work on a like like part ways at the end of the season, him and the Lakers. And, um, and you also knew that Dave Yeager's time in Sacramento was probably over, right? So 
if you take those couple of ideas, like what happened a couple of years earlier was if Vlade had like brought in, I think he brought in 12 coaching candidates. He brought in like four or five of them for second and third interviews. He was having this long drawn out, like almost, I I don't even know how to explain it because like you should have had a feel for people long before he did. He, it was just this super drawn out thing. And at the end of it, um, I think he had started to center around a couple of guys, uh, which, I mean, he should have because he had, he had spent weeks doing it. And then, you know, like phone calls were made and, you know, I think that Dave Yeager could become available. Would you guys be interested in Dave Yeager if he could become available? And uh, it started on a Friday. Dave was uh, parted ways with the Memphis Grizzlies. He was flown to Sacramento the next day and uh, locked into a, a four-year contract on on Sunday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was over. So Vlade had done all of this research, all of this stuff, worked to find the right coach, and then had somebody else come in at the last second and get the job. And that was not all Vlade Divac's decision. Uh, that was ownership making a lot of that decision when it came to Dave and uh, so that's why Dave was hired. So you fast forward three years where we get to the Luke Walton hire. And, you know, when you do things wrong, like you have a too long of a process to hire a coach and then you allow somebody else to hire somebody with that that you're not on board with or that you're not 100% involved in, then the next time you have an opportunity, you're going to do things your way. And that is to hire the guy that you want. And Luke was a guy that that Vlade wanted. So so I know a lot of people are like, oh, they should have had more of a, they should have interviewed more coaches and stuff. Well, it would not have mattered. <laughs> they could have interviewed 10 guys. Vlade wanted Luke, he would have hired Luke. That was the way that was going to go. And so I get it. People are frustrated by that. But again, if you're Vlade and you went through the process once before, you're like, no, I'm not letting that happen to me again. I'm going to hire my own guy. That's it. I'm going to hire him. And that's understandable. And so now we get to a situation where, again, if Monty McNair has a guy that he wants to hire right now, hire him. Like, you don't have to abide by any rules. There are no rules about how many coaches you need to bring in and talk to and all that stuff. You just have to make sure that you're you're right. Because if not, if you you're going to get it right, everybody's going to shut up. Yep. Yeah. If you get it right, everybody's going to shut up. Taylor Jenkins with Memphis. Middle of the season, Taylor Jenkins becomes their coach. And it's worked just fine, so nobody said anything. Well, it didn't Finch. Isn't that the same thing where, like, uh, yeah, they fired? That's, yeah. That's what I meant. It was Chris Finch. It wasn't Taylor Jenkins. It was Chris Finch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Chris Finch. Yeah. They they literally fired their head coach and had a new head coach from a different team, from a different staff the next day. I mean, that was crazy. It's unheard of. Yeah. But it's worked. So nobody cares. It worked. So nobody cares. Yeah. And if Luke Walton somehow worked, nobody would care. And and everyone says, oh, Luke, they're like, he's a bad coach. He's a bad coach. Look. You go to a Lakers team that is nothing but young players, and then all of a sudden they add LeBron James out of nowhere, and then 
you're in the playoff chase and you, you got your team playing well and then LeBron shuts it down for 20 games and you get hammered and you lose your job. Like, look, I don't think any of, any of us knew exactly what Luke Walton was as a coach. And, um, you know, like whether Luke gets another opportunity in the league, uh, you know, probably not, but maybe we'll see. Certainly he'll be an assistant somewhere, that's for sure. Um, but whether he actually gets another full-fledged shot, you know, it'll probably take five years before that happens if it does um maybe three years but but still i I want monty to be able to hire his own guy and what what do you make of what do you make of monty bringing luke back i i same as you didn't expect getting the coach conversation today but like was was he committing to luke being his guy when he just brought him back last season you know what i mean See, that's so tough because I think the first time around, Luke, uh, like definitely when he took the job, he understood that he had to keep Luke, right, in the first year. Um, But Luke still had two years left. That's the problem. Normally these things happen and you fire a coach with one year left on your deal, right? So you, you look at Dave Yeager. Dave Yeager worked, lasted three of his four years. And then going into that next sum- that summer where he got let go, he wasn't going to come back as a lame duck. He either wanted, he either would have got an extension, he was wanting an extension, he either got an extension or he was getting fired right there, right? Well, the problem with Luke was that Vlade was fired one year into Luke's four-year deal. So now you still had him for another three years. And paying, and not only that, but the deal was backloaded. So, like, the Kings backloaded the deal because they were still paying Jaeger, and uh, they, they still had to pay him for one season, and so they they did, like, a smaller first year. So I think it's a four-year 20, but, like, the first year was at $4 million, and the last year is at $6 million or something. So so it's, like, more skewed towards the end. I think he was owed $11 million coming into these last two years. So... That matters because if, again, firing a coach, if you fire him during the summer, and, and I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying that this is the mindset that a lot of teams have and that we've seen play out with this franchise more often than than not. It's that if you bring in a coach, if you bring a coach back and then you fire him, then you're paying an assistant to step up into an interim spot, and that interim spot doesn't make the same money as a head coach. So if you fired Luke with $11 million left on his contract, you got $5 million and $6 million in his final two years. That's a huge blow. If you go, if you have to pay another coach $4 million, $5 million a year for another four years. So now you're doubling up. Now the Kings are going to walk into the next season, this, this coming season, where they still have one more year of Luke to pay out. But, you know, now they know they can bring in a coach that is going to be here long term with the hopes of bringing in a coach long term um, where Alvin did not make head coaching money. So so again, like firing a guy 20 games into a season, it's sort of the the modus operandi of this uh, of this franchise, of this group that we've seen before. It's what they did with uh, with Michael Malone. It's what they did they were going to do with Dave Yeager before Dave Yeager's team won. Like firing a, ga- a coach 20 games into the season, this is the third time that they intended to do that. 
So like, so again, don't so don't tough, like James. this. Is, it, it's dumb. It's it's ridiculous. Twenty games. Twenty games. This was oh god. Anyways, my issue with the Luke thing was if you're willing to fire a guy that early, you were not that committed. Like you didn't actually believe in that coach. No, you were committed to saving money. Believe in. Yes, that's the problem. No, I I mean literally, (laughs) like with the 2014-15 season, I believe it's Michael Malone. Um, The Kings at that time went to Alvin Gentry. And said, Alvin, we'd like to bring you on board as the lead assistant. And this is a story that I have heard from multiple sources, but the most reliable of reliable sources, which I'll just put it at that. Like they fourteen fifteen. Yeah, is that Michael Malone's last season, in Sacramento? I don't have it pulled up, but um, I think so. I can pull it up, but I I'll, I'll check for you. Yeah. Okay. So to get back to it, um, that season. They during the off season, the Kings decided they were going to management decided they were going to upgrade Michael Malone's lead assistant, right? And by upgrading the lead assistant, they went out and got um they they started shopping. And the first guy they came across was Alvin Gentry. They wanted Alvin Gentry to step in and be the lead assistant. So they interviewed Alvin, they offered him the job and told him that they were going to fire Michael Malone 20 games into the season and he would be the head coach and they would build a contract out to accelerate his contract then. Yes, that happened. But I can even tell you that during the 2010-11 season, uh, Paul Westfall was the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. During that offseason, um, the Warriors, I think, were sold uh and and Key Smart was replaced after having a pretty solid season. Key Smart was brought in to be the lead assistant in Sacramento with the understanding that there's a good chance that they were going to let uh, Paul Westfall go. So during my time in Sacramento, uh, four times this has happened. The only time that it didn't successfully happen was when they got to 20 games into the uh, Dave Yeager's third year, and the Kings were winning, and they couldn't fire him. And a a uh, assistant general manager still went to the press, still went to a member of the media, and told him very specifically that Dave Yeager was still on the hot seat because they still wanted to fire him. So it, it's you an just can't do this. Environment? No, you can't. It's an unhealthy environment. Everybody knows when this is going on. It's not just between the media like the players understand that this unhealthy environment is going on and that reflects or that affects the product that we're seeing on the floor and it's just not okay like wins fix everything i do genuinely believe that you have to win enough games for it to actually fix everything but you're just making it a difficult environment for this to actually be possible like yeah if, if, if people don't think Dave Yeager Alvin, is a good coach, yeah. If people don't think Dave Yeager is a good coach, they're crazy. Dave Yeager can he? There's like there are plenty of warts on Dave Yeager. Like as, like he can be extremely difficult to deal with. Um, but if you think he's a bad head coach, you're wrong. You're wrong. Like he is a it, very well, the good, way he transitioned, grit and grind in Memphis to being the highest, one of the highest paced teams in the NBA. 
in Sacramento. Like, it wasn't just, oh, he's really good at this one style, Tom Thibodeau-esque. Like, we saw Jaeger transition and change the type of basketball that his team was playing between his head coaching jobs. Like, Jaeger was doing pretty good. And it's very yeah. clear now because when Jaeger was moved on from, we just didn't see the same product on the floor. Yeah, I mean, Dave won 39 wins with the Kings. Uh, George Carl won 33. I think that's the closest, that's the most wins that I've seen in my 12 years covering the team. I mean, just that alone is stunning. I mean, this team is, what, three years removed from Jaeger posting a 39-win team? Yeah. Yep. I don't um, know how you've done it, James. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so, yeah, I... We did not expect to go on a uh, coaching spelunking uh, expedition here. Um, yeah, it, it kind of got a little dark there. I apologize. Uh, but, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, the Kings have to do it right this time. Uh, they've got to get the right guy. Uh, I don't think it doesn't have to be a brand name. Uh, you know, Brendan's brought up some some really interesting names. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I brought up Kenny Atkinson. Uh, you brought up Terry Stotts. Like, it, I don't think it has to be that. Uh, but it has to be right, and and that's at the end of the day, you, you have to do this right, and then you you need to build out the staff the right way. Like again, Alvin Gentry was the lead assistant to to uh, Luke. Well, when they canned Luke, like Alvin moved up, and nobody stepped in to that role. And like that's not a knock on like a guy like Doug Christie. Doug Christie was seventeen games into his coaching career when they made the move like he doesn't have the experience or he didn't have the experience at that time he's got a lot more experience now because he's been there all season long but you know that is a really difficult situation to be in and uh you got to try to avoid it you need a good coaching staff you need you know how many defensive quote-unquote defensive coordinators have the kings had in the last four years the answer is four how is that conducive to learning yeah how are you like choosing a path and sticking to it. You're not. Um, and, and that's a problem. And so we need to see the Kings make, they need to make like identity changes behind the scenes. Like this has to be like the, the cultural identity of the team with the instability from front office to ownership, to coaching staff, to all the way down. It, it has to, you have to choose a path and stick to it. Um, all right. So let's cover the fun part of the, you know, if there is a fun part, we it's we, we still Kings. there's no fun part, James. <laughs> there, there's no fun part. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're uh, we're getting to a point where we've got um, a group of uh, of players still uh, still in the tournament, right? Um, this has been a spectacular tournament, and uh, Brennan and I have mentioned this before, but the fact that like most of the top ten just kept going and playing and you know we got to see extra games of them in the tournament like that is spectacular like getting to see them in different scenarios getting to see them under pressure in a different way um that's what you need right uh and what are you looking forward to this weekend because we still have uh paulo banquero uh we still have aj griffin um we still have uh oh boy Och O Ochai uh Abaji. Uh yeah, it's a tough boy, one. I, yeah, like I, I went and watched him say it himself. It, yeah, it's Ochai. 
uh, Obagi. Um, so we still have players. You know, there's even, uh, you know, like Mark Williams from Duke, who's a top 15 pick, is still going in the Final Four. What do you want to see here? I mean, my main thing is definitely going to be Paulo. Just because the situation the Kings are in, they're not late lottery or middle of the first round. Like, they are potentially, they're going to have, what, a 25-ish shot of jumping into the top four. So I'm mainly watching Paulo, to be honest. And okay. this Duke-UNC game is going to be a big one. And just seeing, can he be, can he continue to impress because he has this whole tournament. I think he's helped his stock tremendously. Um, I mean, already as a guy that was sitting in the top four, but I think he's like making a stronger case for being the best player in this draft class. I don't know that I'm quite there yet, but he's definitely making a case. And to me, this this final run, mainly from a King's point of view, is going to be keying in on Paulo Banchero and how can he continue to be a number one option of a playmaker and also creating space in his own shots. And I, I guess the number two would be AJ Griffin of um, really watching him. And can he still have these flashes of being a guy that is like Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler esque. And because there's moments of seeing it, but there's a lot of moments where you have to talk yourself into the idea of him and just having more flashes and getting to a point where you don't have to call them flashes anymore, where they feel consistent. Um, so mainly it's kind of the Duke guys for me right now when it comes to the King's point of view of these uh, Final Four. Yeah, I'm down with that. Like, I do want to see more Bancaro. I want to see if he fits. Uh, like, I, I want to see how I would think he would fit. Um, he's impressed me. Like, of everyone in the... Uh, I think Matherin impressed me with his one gigantic breakout game. Um, but I think Bancaro's impressed me with the way he stacks games. I still got to do like a lot more research on this, the whole losing seven pounds every game thing. And, you know, like there, there's some weirdness with him. Uh, like how does he fit? Would he, would it work? All those things. Like, can he space the floor well enough? Um, Griffin is one of those guys that I, I kind of lump into this, this group of players that might might be there when the Kings draft and the Kings can, you know, if they do stay where they're at currently, where they tied for, are they tied for the sixth worst record? Six. Sixth with, uh, with Portland. Um, so we're probably looking at six, seven. That's where I'm going to guess the Kings. I'm going to guess the Kings are going to end up at seventh, with seventh worst. They have record. a half game advantage on Portland right now when it comes to the draft. They're six and a half game ahead of Portland in seven. Yeah, but they have the same amount of losses, right? Um, they yeah. actually have one more loss. Same amount of wins. Okay, and then the win... So this is one where I'm going to switch gears and tell you that win totals matter because I don't think Portland's going to win another game, and I think the Kings will at least win one. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think Portland will will end up being the sixth and the Kings will end up being the seventh. That's just my, my opinion. I think that's you know predicting what that's what will happen. Okay, so you're if you're at number seven, you have this opportunity. Like Griffin could fall to seven, uh, Matherin could fall to seven. Um, I don't think uh, Jaden Ivy falls past like four or five, but I, you know, certainly stranger things have happened. We've seen in the last couple of years in the draft. So I think you are still looking at guys like that. 
But if you end up falling a couple of spots, then, you know, I'm going to start looking at guys that, uh, like this, this draft in particular is really built for a team like the Kings. It's stuffed with like, you know, sort of high potential, uh, offensive weapon twos that have some defensive prowess or at least some, uh, defensive length and stuff. Uh, and then it's filled with, with these power forwards that, you know, like we're looking at stretch fours guys that, you know, we've talked about like Keegan Murray, but also guys like Tari Eason, uh, from LSU. Like this is a really good draft for, if you do keep your pick, I don't think the Kings will necessarily keep a pick that's between say four and nine. I think they will look to move that pick, but I also think that uh, there's a possibility they move back in the draft. So we end up looking at a player in, you know, from 10 to, to 20. And again, like guys like Tari Eason, guys like Mark Williams, like maybe those guys uh, can can work out for you. Maybe, maybe they're players that, that make sense that are, you know, a little bit more mature. Maybe again, like, uh, like Akaya, uh, Abaji, like he's a guy that like, there's not that much of a difference between his game and Matherin or AJ Griffin's game. He's a three and D two. He just happens to be 21 years old with four years of college experience. Um, so he's still a Clearly young, the Kings don't mind that. Yeah. He's, a, he's a young senior, a senior, but we're talking about a guy who was in the draft process last year who, you know, 6'5 with a 6'10 wingspan and a 41-inch vert. And this is a guy who plays hard, who who's a flat-out winner. So it might even be, as much as I want to watch Bancaro, it's like maybe we look at him a little bit. You know, what he's done at Kansas is incredible. Like he's their leader. He's their guy. And he's a personality that you know he's, you know, if you're looking at guys like, Davion Mitchell, Devon, uh, DiVincenzo, the, these are guys who are winners. They've always been winners, like their entire careers. You know, we're talking about Villanova. We're talking about Baylor. We're talking about, you know, DiVincenzo has a, has a ring with the Bucks. started 66 games on a team, although he didn't get to play in the playoffs because of his, his injury. Two national uh, championships. Yeah, two national cha- championships. You're looking for winners. And I, I know that that seems like a strange thing, for the Kings to like kind of hone in on. But when you're a loser, finding winners is a good thing. And so I'm kind of, I'm kind of open. I'm, I'm open to this because I think there are players that are sitting there and it kind of, it brings us to the business of basketball, the business of basketball. Brendan. Can I try? Can I try? I'll move my yeah, mic close to my face. Yeah. The business of basketball. There he goes. Sean never tried. <laughs> yeah, and like, like Sean will make an appearance eventually. Sean will make an appearance, just so people know. It's it's a long sordid story. Well, hopefully, one day we get to tell that story. Um, but uh, it, the business of basketball, um, we've got you know we always look at uh, fit versus need, right? Fit versus need is such a huge, huge thing. But if you were an NBA executive, I, I think maybe a bigger question mark is. A player with a incredibly high ceiling, but a really, really low floor, or a player with a less high ceiling, but a much higher floor. Where are you at on the floor ceiling sort of debate? Because like, you can go a couple of different ways here in this draft where 
maybe you're not getting a player with the ceiling, but you also know he's going to be a really solid, good player. I think this might be like the Davion Mitchell question mark coming into the season. Like ceiling, like I don't think his ceiling still, even though he's putting up, you know, 20 points, four games in a row. And what we figured out, he's averaging, he's had nine assists in three of the last four games. They're averaging 24 points, eight and a half assists, shooting 48% from the field, 41.7% from three, all of those things. He's doing that right now in his in his last four games. Um, that's great and all, but I, I still think we believe his ceiling is probably lower than what we're seeing right now, this peak that we're seeing. Um, but Brennan, like there are players that are going to be in this draft where you're looking at and you're thinking, okay, if I'm at number seven, am I just going for ceiling? Or is that a point in the draft where it, it starts to break and you're like, I need to make sure that I at least get a guy who has a floor? Yeah, I think typically it's probably still ceiling when you're talking seven. But I don't know. To me, again, I've only like really dove into the last three drafts. But to me, this doesn't feel like a typical – like there, it falls quicker than typical drafts of like when I'm sitting at seven I'm probably really considering like a Keegan Murray who I don't think has the ceiling of an all-star but I think he has the floor of being a plus starter in the NBA which I don't know how many guys are like that like it reminds me of like Sadiq Bey right in that 2020 draft yeah I didn't expect Tyrese to fall to 12 but you were talking either like do you want a Kyra Lewis Aaron Neesmith a even um Alexei Pokusevsky, I liked those guys. Those are kind of all ceiling guys to me where you're really buying their potential. But Sadiq Bey is like not going to be a starter. I don't. I, I never expected him to drop 50 in a game or anything like this, which albeit end of the season, but he's a starter in the NBA. And there is value in that. Like Lord knows the Kings need another starter. They need two more starters on this roster. And so if I'm sitting at seven in this draft with the research I've done so far, I'm kind of thinking the more and more, like I haven't loved Keegan Murray in the way that he's been hyped up. I'm not obsessed with Keegan Murray or anything like this, but if you're sitting at seven, I don't know. I don't know that you can wait for the defense of AJ Griffin or Benedict Matherin. Both of those guys have high offensive potentials. I see it. They have defensive potentials as well. Again, like, Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, kind of esque to me, but it's going to take time, and every every prospect is going to take time. But to me, like in this draft, I kind of think I'm leaning a little bit more towards if you're talking seven, because in the top four, top three, like if the Kings jump, which I guess would be top four, I am going for ceiling. At that point, you have to, because in the end. While the Kings do need two starter caliber players to add to this roster, they also just need a number. Like if you add a number one option to this team or a guy that's on par with De'Aaron and Domas, then and everybody else bumps down, Harrison Barnes is all of a sudden the fourth option. You're okay with his inconsistency. Like it's different. So obviously in the top four, for me, I'm still taking ceiling. But after that, when you reach that sort of seven, eight, nine range where the Kings totally could end up, I don't know. I'm kind of at a point where I'm definitely trying to sh- shop the pick, but I think I go for a guy that's not super risky because if you miss, you're pretty screwed. 
Okay, so I'll just put Matherin or Keegan Murray. Hey, at number Keegan. seven. They're they're both available. It's probably Keegan okay. Murray. Okay. AJ Griffin or Keegan Murray, number seven. Mm, um, I guess AJ Griffin, but like, <laughs> it's a tough one, James. Uh, I I could be talked into either one. Like, uh, I almost want to pick uh, Keegan because to me, like, you can't wait two years for AJ Griffin to be a good player. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, he, you, you you can't do that at number teams seven. Typically, should you're supposed to be able to wait, but the Kings can't. James, like if they wait a year, if they're bad next year, why would Domantas Sabonis want to stay around? And then I you agree. trade Tyrese Halliburton for nothing. Like I agree, you have to be significantly improved next season, and this is where it's a weird position for the Kings. Boy, this is a good discussion. Um, you know, I, like in all honesty, yeah, I'm taking potential. I'm taking potential all the way up until there. There's always a break. There's always a break in the draft. And, and I think you know, again, if you look at where the Kings drafted at number nine this last season, that was really close to the break. Like, I mean, I think that uh, you know, if we're looking at like Moody, you could have fit in book there. Night. Yeah, book, book night. night. Have the biggest game of his career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like I definitely think that there are ways that the Kings could have taken a different route here. Um but they definitely I think they they went for need uh as opposed to potential. They went for they went for floor versus ceiling. And and I don't blame them. They they knew that Davion Mitchell was going to step on the floor and be a really good defensive player and a player that could eat minutes because of that defensive acumen and that uh, they were okay with his limitations on the offensive end. He's gotten better in every aspect of the game, and he's better right now. His numbers are better than I think that they will be at other points and at most points in his career. Like we're seeing like this outburst from him, um, but I, it's situational more than anything else. And I think that there will be a difficult time fitting him. Like what he does now doesn't exactly translate to him. Like what he will be as the rest of his career, I don't think. Um, but yeah. uh, stranger things have happened just because he's 23 years old. Doesn't mean he can't keep growing, especially with his work ethic that, you know, you expect a guy to, to get better, to adjust to the speed and all that stuff. And we're seeing a lot of good things, but, um, that still to me we're, was, was, you know, a conservative pick. Yeah. I was going to say, where are you at with that pick? Like, I, I feel like I've seen people a lot in recent days, and of course, because Davion's starting and playing so well, like we've talked about of like, oh, Monty's two for two on draft picks, and it's like, Tyrese was kind of the obvious pick, to be honest, at 12, and I don't know yeah. that I feel as good about Davion as maybe some people do. Like, I really like Davion. I probably would have taken Zaire Williams. I probably would have taken Moses Moody. Like... I don't know that I feel great about that. I don't, I'm not looking at Monty like, oh, my God, he's done a horrible job or anything like that. But I also don't, like, believe that he's done amazing. I think he found a, a top, I'd say, six, seven of the rotation player. Um, and so conservatively, he, 
you know, he did what, what he thought was best because I think he, like everyone else, over overshot what the core was of this team. So being conservative made sense with the core that you had. Um, but I think that you you skipped over the potential for starters at, you know, at crucial positions for this team, like the small forward spot. Like, I have no question to add. Like, I will make a statement, and and I don't question this statement at all. If the Kings would have drafted Moses Moody and kept DeLon right, they're a better team right now than they were, than, than they are today. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, then you're looking for a backup point guard next season, as opposed to now, you you know, you have Davion. Um, but that, to me, was like an issue. I also think that, that Monty McNair walked into that draft knowing that in order to get good, in order to make a big trade that he wanted to make, he was going to have to either trade De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton. And so he drafted a guard accordingly. And people can say, oh, that's what it looks like now. It's like, eh, I don't think so. I think that's what it looked like then too. We just didn't look at it that way because no one else thought that they would trade either De'Aaron Fox or Tyrese Halliburton. Um, but you took the 12th pick in the draft and you trade him for a two-time 25-year-old All-Star. Yeah. Are you ready for uh, ready for another point guard? Another point guard? No. You're not going to draft another point guard. Johnny Davis. Johnny Davis. <sighs> Close thing we're going to get. Ah. <laughs> ah. Uh, uh, yeah. At, yeah, at the I mean, least, the draft class has a lot of wings, and like you, I, I think you said earlier, a lot of guys that fit what the Kings need. So, I think that we probably do all this research, and the pick ends up getting traded, and it doesn't matter anyways. But um, hypothetically, if if they do end up taking the pick, there's a lot of guys that fit what they need. At very least, it's not a lot of guards. There, there are, but we always think they're going to trade the pick, and they never trade the pick. Fair enough. We thought Buddy Hill was going to get traded for like two years. So yeah, and and the only time that they, I, like, where they traded from nine to thirteen, picked up the twenty eighth pick and picked up the draft rights to Bogdan Bogdanovich, um, but then they blew that draft completely. They drafted Papi Giannis. Uh, I think he was thirteen. Uh, they drafted Malachi Richardson number twenty two, which they. They got that pick magically from Charlotte Hornets in exchange for, uh, oh man, why, uh, Marco Bellinelli. And then they drafted Scalabissier at number 28. Um, yeah. Mm. Miss, yeah. miss, and miss. And then what they did, miss. 10, which was Zach Collins for 15 and 20, which is Josh Jackson, not Josh Jackson, uh, uh, Justin Jason Jackson. Jack, uh, and Justin, yeah. Justin Jackson. There's a lot of J names. Justin Jackson and, uh, yeah, Harry Giles. Yeah, instead of those two, you could have easily ended up with Kyle Kuzma. You could have ended up with John Collins. You could have uh, ended up with OG Ananobi. Was it Bam Adebayo and, and Donovan Mitchell, if you would have stayed at 10? Yeah, yeah. They were 13 and 14. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be like that sometimes. Um, yeah, that's in that draft specifically, they, they didn't draft uh, Donovan because they drafted um, – they drafted De'Aaron, and everyone kind of thought Donovan was going to be a point guard. Uh, and he really did a lot of work to tell people he was going to be a point guard. Plus, people need to remember that Donovan Mitchell was a defensive-minded guard coming into the draft that he never scored big at all, even as like a high school player. 
um, you know, De'Aaron and him have known each other forever, and he was never that type of scorer at all. Um, so that's a different one. But, again, they could have put De'Aaron Fox and Bam Adebayo, the, the, can, uh, the Kentucky connection next to each other, and that would have been your base for a decade, just like the craziness. Yeah. Uh, Brendan, if we We're talked about We're even going to talk about Luke Kennard this offseason, and he was right there too. So. Yeah, he was. Yeah. It's crazy. Luke Kennard. It's crazy, James. Yep. Um, okay, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Kings Beat Podcast. Brennan, do you have any final thoughts? I don't think I do. Um, no, not really. I'm glad that we saw Namish, I guess, and I hope that we see him more because as much as we were kind of like, I guess, critical of him earlier in this episode or just talking about how, like you said, didn't look up to speed, I yeah. don't think that it's a bash on him or anything like that. I think it's understandable – reasonable it does make me feel more down on Amish as a player and prospect like I want to see more of him he is what we expected in all honesty which isn't a bad thing no it's not this is this is why he has to play it's so he can start to learn and grow and and get some of this experience to take into the offseason so he starts to learn and this offseason is going to be tremendous for him like he's going to They'll reshape him completely. By the end of the offseason, his body will look completely different, um, and he will be uh, ready to play if if they have an open spot for him. And I think also playing uh, pickup games against DeMontis Sabonis is going to be the greatest thing for for Kata of all time. I I just think it's just going to be spectacular. Um, Sweet. All right, so uh, just cover the bases. Make sure that you're watching us on YouTube. You jump down and give us a thumbs up and subscribe uh king's beat make sure you're getting a subscription to the king's beat and a premium subscription gets you think cool things like the happy hour we are going to start locking down content any day uh the intent was lockdown content but like my last couple of weeks have been a little wild uh i am on the mend i'm doing much better uh, i am going to the final four this weekend um but we'll be back on thursday uh with another pod um, we'll figure out what's going to happen on Tuesday. There's a good chance I can still squeeze in a podcast once I get back from New Orleans and before I get to the Kings, uh, it's Kings Pelicans, Pelicans? uh, yeah. season finale, uh, well, home finale at, uh, at golden one on Tuesday. Um, but we'll be back and we'll have more content for you, uh, starting on Thursday, um, and we're just going to hit this draft thing hard and heavy, and we're going to start bringing in guests and stuff like that to help us further the discussion on uh, on the draft that's coming up. So thanks for tuning in to the King's Beat podcast for Brennan Nunes. I am James Ham. We'll see you on Thursday.